Okay, you all good? Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. You're listening to the B2C Lead Gen Podcast. My name is Daniel Hopewell here with Simon Delaney and this is episode 117, Are Lead Buyers Insane? So there's a very famous and often quoted Einstein definition of insanity, which is essentially doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. And today we're going to look at that idea in relation to lead buyers, examine one, if they suffer from this, and two, why that might be the case. So to begin with, Simon, let's start with the idea that, you know, are lead buyers reluctant to change what they're doing and why might that be the case? I thought you were going to say, are lead buyers insane? Um so if you want, if that's easier. Yeah, that's, a, that's far more difficult. Um, so some are not insane. Some are reluctant to change. Um, and I've listed out some reasons why. And I will quickly divulge this to you. So I would say the first thing is they probably don't know how to improve it. Like, the lead buy-in process, you mean? Yeah, yeah, just like how to improve it. So this is, they've got a set process or a set system, set type of leads, whatever coming in. It might be been inherited from someone else or something that was set up. It's just running all the time like clockwork and they just don't know how to improve it. They can't, you know, they they don't have either the resources, the people, the technology, whatever it is to start thinking about like how can we actually improve this it might feel like too big a job they maybe just don't you know we take it for granted that we talk about this stuff all the time a lot of the people that listen to this podcast a lot of the guests that we have on we all know this subject matter quite deeply right like to us we can sit and talk about relatively complex issues really easily because we're all understanding what we're talking about so we can mention acronyms we can talk about feedback loops we can talk about like yeah, measuring things at a granular level if you get some like if i get a lead buyer in from a big advertiser and start talking about some of this stuff and i've been i do it all the time it's literally like i'm reading the epic of gilgamesh in its original language <laughs> and you know that's what i'm talking about like they just don't know how to improve it yeah okay um Number two would be they're just stuck using the same software. So this is some like winky wanky internal stuff that someone built Johnny in the tech department 14 years ago. And um, the thought of changing that is just so painful um, that they can't do it. Or, you know, they're using something like a dialer or like an archaic CRM from the past. And this happens. I come across this sort of thing all the time. And the reluctance to change it is, um, again, because it's kind of working, even though they know it's broken, but they'd rather keep a broken system um, that's hindering them in some ways than actually, like, you know, pull the rug from under their feet and um, go for something new. Um, number three is just a cl old classic, you know, this is the way, the way we've always done it. Like, it's, just, it's almost an ego thing, that, right? It's like this is the way we've always done it how can we be wrong um yeah. and yeah you find that in every walk of life about 
lots of different things. Um, number four would be a sales and marketing misalignment. So, uh, let's say it's marketing buying the leads and they're tasked, or it could be sales as well, with buying a certain amount of leads. And the sales team, or someone in the sales team, is then tasked to get a certain level of results. Hmm. Um, you need to combine those two things. You don't separate them. So you can't like have a quota you've got a hit of leads and go, you've got to hit 20,000 leads a day. Like that's the target, no matter what. And then they go to them, you've got to hit 4,000 sales a day because, and they, you know, you don't align the two of them because this person getting the leads is just doing whatever they can to get leads at the lowest possible price, regardless of what the potential outcome is. And as stupid as that sounds, trust me, it happens a hell of a lot, especially at big companies. Um, number five, they don't think changing things will make that much of a difference. So I've come across this relatively, relatively frequently. It's like, how much of a difference will that make? You know, I'm like, well, I don't know, an extra 5%. Like, yeah, well, it might not. You're like, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. So it's about trading off like the effort required against potential you know increasing performance yes if i so i have conversations where i'll say to someone like how are you feeding back results to your suppliers of leads and they'll go once a month we download an excel sheet um we get all the reasons for rejections get a lead idea whatever it is and then send it back to the lead seller um and uh, that's how we feed back the rejections and i say what how about you set up a webhook that just gives them the outcome of every single lead um regardless of this it's just rejections but also like successful leads and you know like appointment books or whatever it is um so that they can start uh optimizing for the leads that uh convert and have positive outcomes and they get the rejections in real time They're like yeah but you know like that's gonna be quite difficult and how much of a return will it give us i'm like well i can't give you an exact figure but i can tell you it's going to massively change um the way that you're doing things there's uh, don't know maybe not might not yeah. uh, just you know it works the way it is it's that sort of conversation um whereas the people that do it you know it's an automated system that you just set up once and it runs and uh, everybody's lives become a hell of a lot easier and performance goes up but you know um now this one number six i've not numbered these so you know it's difficult but i would say is probably one of the biggest reasons they base everything on the previous results of a broken system which means they can't see beyond the results they've already achieved even though it kind of feeds into what we were just talking about actually the previous point so let's imagine that now you've had like a 10% conversion, but you've got like a broken system that's achieving those uh, conversions. Yeah. And then you have a conversation which is like, well, you could get far better conversions if you use a different system 
like yeah no we can't pay anymore for a system or pay anymore for leads though because that's what they work out at like night and day they always convert at 10 percent, whatever so that means that's the cpl we pay um and we can't ever change that because um we wouldn't be hitting roi or cpa or whatever if we do that and it's like yeah but the results are from the broken system yeah yeah um another huge one just a huge amount of red tape to jump through especially at bigger companies um yeah, signing anything off, technology, new processes, systems, even working with new suppliers, deviating from the uh, current model can be incredibly difficult. Um, so people just don't do it because they can't get off the sort of hamster wheel um, at the time to spend six months trying to get something through when what they're worried about is their job in six months and what they've got to achieve in the six months yeah because if you know if you do something to impact the results in that time you're not going to have a job in six months anyway it's going to take you that long to force through whatever you want to force through um decisions are made by committee so you know like a small company or relatively small company it's quite like people can just make decisions right you can make decisions pretty quickly stuff can happen very quickly you can be adaptable when you go into larger organizations or very very process driven organizations it can be incredibly difficult to get things signed off because you know you have to sit around a table of five people and all of them have to agree that this is something that should go ahead and they'll each have their own motivations their own concerns whatever so it's just the old adage you know decisions by committee kill decisions yeah. just doesn't happen um and the other is they just want to pay the same money like you know a lot of people are under pressure to just pay you know given budgets so it's like here's five grand a month go and get x uh and so you know if you want to introduce a new process or a new system or change the way you're doing things you have to go and get a different budget and they get it's the same sort of problem they um people can be reluctant to do it so when we talk about our lead buyers insane um perhaps a bit a bit harsh to term it up yeah yeah it's less to do with being insane and more to do with there can be a huge amount of hoops to jump through people's jobs can be on the line because they're not hitting results because you know we all know if you change something there's a period of yeah like yeah uncertainty is where things happen um or imagine you just don't know how to improve it you know we imagine that everybody who buys leads is sitting listening to this podcast that's certainly not the case or you know sat on linkedin reading stuff about how to do things almost certainly they're not so it's you know it's an educational piece i think there's a couple of bits there i want to come back to um the first is that phrase hamster wheel because i think that sort of I think that kind of covers all the problems in one form or another, all the reasons why not. It's this, it's this almost fear that if they sort of slow the hamster wheel ever so slightly, terrible things are going to happen. So just keep it going. So getting off is something we talked about before. Um, but also there was something you said, I think with point three, which reminded me of that adage, the old adage, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Now, maybe this is more a case of, not understanding that things are broken 
but regardless it's almost like not if it's not broke how do we how do we improve it whether they've got that mindset or not so i guess bringing those two things together if people are listening how practically how do you get off the hamster wheel and do you think they are just happy coasting or do you think it's, it's about striving for improvements when things are actually okay and do they need to do that <clears throat> I would think that most people in their jobs want to be successful, right? Like they don't, they, they, there's probably an element of coasting, but if they can actually be successful, they'd probably choose that option. Um, you, you say that as a CEO of a business. Hmm. Let's imagine the person who's listening to this isn't like, isn't a CEO, isn't sort of got, hasn't got shares in a the company. They've just got a, a job and a salary. So yeah, they want to improve, they want to earn more money, sure. But the fear of losing your job in that time is probably outweighing the, the risk you want to, you know, you want to take to improve. Like some people might just be thinking, no, I just want to, I want to just get my cash and not get fired in the six months it takes to do this. So I understand, you know, we just look at it from their perspective, I guess. Yeah, I know a lot of people at different companies, especially large organizations, um, and what they want to do is never be too successful and never be too crap, for want of a better word. Why do they want to be successful? They don't ever want to put their head above the parapet, so they don't ever want any focus, because if you don't get focus, you can just coast, and you're what they're ultimately coasting towards is a pension. So I know people have so been what, in, what's the danger of putting your head over the parapet because like, ex, like future expectations. Oh, so it's like if I do this too well, you're gonna demand this of me every yeah, time. Exactly. I see. Okay. It's funny, it's a funny old world, isn't it? But um, that seems weird to me, but like not the idea that I want to risk like that, the the risk factor, trading that. Well that, also that, the that risk, yeah, also the risk factor. factor because well, there's two things you're right. So one is future expectations the other is if you're actually going to be successful like that you typically have to take some element of risk mm. which means rather than being above the parapet you could be below the you know you could be crap because that's what the risk is so in that scenario there's a lot of people who are in jobs for life think of like old um public companies that have either turned private mm. you know it's a lot around think of like bt was like that right so yeah. a lot of those people were on final salary pensions still after they left. So they, you know, they're on like huge amounts of money at the end of their jobs. What they don't want to do is ever, ever uh, risk that. Obviously, that's not the same as smaller companies. We're talking about huge organisations. Um, typically, they're buying leads. But um, outside of that. Um, in terms of what you were talking about, how do you get off the hamster wheel? So number one would be like, you need to identify that there is actually a problem. This sort of goes back to the thing of, you know, do they, do they even know that there's a problem? So you, you, identification of a problem is number one. Now, what that is, well, how do you identify a problem? So what we're talking about is we know at Databowl that left to its own devices, on average, buying leads will lead to at least 35% of them on average 
that you will never be able to sell to for one reason or another, right? That we're not even including performance in that. That's just like yeah, the average amount of leads that are going to be rejected. So what we're looking at in that is how many people can't you contact where you get the leads? You know, how many bad email addresses? How many bad telephone numbers? How many wrong people? How many bots or IP fraud or how many bad addresses? You know, how many bad leads effectively? How many out of criteria, dedupe, suppression, whatever? And then in terms of performance, it's um it's a tough one because if you don't know like how to improve it, you know, like how can I tell you to prove it i mean it, we could go over the same things that we've talked about before but somebody like this that we're talking about is probably like we say it's like reading the epic of gilgamesh to them mm. you know they're not going to understand fully what that all means so what i look at is probably the flat line that you're on how long have you been on it for um have there been any attempts to improve it? Um, yeah, because what what they'll be doing almost certainly, I know companies like this, so it's you know, I can talk about it uh, with confidence. They're converting at like four percent. They'll just flatline like it for years at a time. And that's what they're looking for. And they might have to change and like buy more leads if their flatlining um, goes down, or you know, very rarely it ever goes up. So. Is this strive for a higher flatline potentially or slight improvements rather than, I mean, giving anyone massive improvements uh, can scare them. So, um, but anyway, it comes back to this identification of a problem. The other thing would be a mindset shift, which is just, um, yeah, this is the way we've always done it. Or to your point, if it's not broken, don't fix it. What about like actually uh improve it yeah. so it's not like it needs fixing it's not broken but you can improve it. you can get better results um and the third one is um it, it sort of comes back to that thing of like the uh the problem of sales and marketing or someone having one set of targets and another person having another which is like if it's hitting targets why change but what are those targets I can can they be improved so you know the person who's tasked with buying the certain amount of leads per day um yeah his or her targets are not aligned with the end sales results what are those targets are those targets like really mediocre can they be improved can they be changed um so it, it's sort of those three things so rather than going into like the tactical reason how you do it um, I think getting off the hamster wheel involves like analysis of one of those three problems, probably. Yeah. If all so, that makes sense. No, it makes sense. But I guess what I kind of want to end on is well, something like a scenario. So imagine like I'm one of these people who is coasting, is on a hamster wheel, so to speak, maybe someone working at a brand, but. And they're thinking, look, you know, I want to, I want to improve a little bit, but what I don't want to do is agree to a six-month transformation where I might lose my job and have to rehaul everything. And it's like, you know, a massive big thing. Like, let's just say for now, we're not, we're not talking about 
everything in one go. But I just want to make a small incremental improvement. I want to sort of just dip my foot in a tiniest little bit just to sort of see whether I can make a small change that I'm doing, how I'm doing stuff, and then sort of scale up. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not asking for shifts to sort of transform the whole process, but if people are listening, there are a few things they can do just to begin with, just to sort of start to start to make small improvements. <clears throat> it's quite difficult to answer without like the context of what their current situation is. Um, because obviously I'd have no yeah. idea what they're doing, but um, one of them would be um, definitely, I'd give two that you can do relatively easily. So one would be the sort of feedback loops. Um, whether you're still doing that manually or um, whether you're going to automate it, ideally automate it, but start to look at the giving all the results back rather than just the rejections. And what you're mm, looking for is good, are the number of rejections that you're sending back each month going down rather than up um, or flatlining? Because if they're going down, it means that... Um, or sorry, not just rejections, positive outcomes are they going up? Because what it means is that the lead generator or lead seller that you're sending the results back to is actually using that information. Um, so I think that'd be quite useful that a lot of people don't do is and is should be relatively simple. Um, the other would probably be like more analysis of the data. So, because I know a lot of companies don't do this as well as start, because I'm just thinking of like really simple things they can do potentially like on the spreadsheet or something, right? Depend on what their setup is. I We're in like an imaginary scenario. Um, and that's just looking at all the positive outcomes that you have, whatever they are, you know, sales, appointments booked, yada, yada, yada. Um, who's over indexing on them which source of data is providing more of them and then tie that back to uh, the cost of that as well so either total amount of data and sort of operational costs behind it um because it with by doing that you'll immediately get an insight into probably where you need to put more of your budget because they're just getting better, you know, like, it's not like you really have to change anything. You just sort of go, okay, we know from supplier A uh, in this particular scenario of, you know, subsource D, we're getting much better results. So if we pull some of the budget from this worst performing one, and put it there, um, we'll see much greater results. And just to let you know, the scenario I'm thinking of is, and I see this all the time, they're, is a buyer just categorizing like total leads from all sources in the same way so they just go like all facebook leads for example yeah. or all and the competition leads or whatever it is um so doing some sort of data analysis on that would yield strong results very quickly cool well i mean it's interesting that like i know it's a slightly facetious podcast title 
Um, but hopefully we've used that to kind of dive into a little bit uh, into the mindset of lead buyers and kind of have a look at how they approach these things. Um, yeah, and hopefully. It'd be interesting to hear from any lead buyers if there's any other things, you yeah. know, like if anyone's got any of the reasons why, um, you know, or maybe it's off the mark and they go, actually, we can just do what we want and we've set all these great <laughs> processes up and can't be asked. <laughs> yeah. We just, or we, you know, we know that it's as good as it's ever going to be and whatever else. Um, so yeah, it'd be, it'd be good to, uh, to hear it on that. I, and we have a, um, feed, uh, when we say feedback form, we have a form that we put out on LinkedIn. We send out on like the email list, um, that we notify of, uh, the podcast where people can fill it in and ask questions or ask um, questions for future podcasts. So if you have anything, please fill it in on that. Sounds good. Um, cool. That was episode 117 of Lead Buyers Insane. Thanks for listening to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe to hear more from those at the very cutting edge of the lead gen world.